Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce my guests, I usually talk about what I've been watching this week. And I think everybody knows what I've been watching this week because you've been watching the same thing, which is the election results. Wow. What a week. Definitely the most nail-biting reality show I've ever seen. And thank God it had a happy ending. Great series finale. So I was very excited. Um, I did want to mention just one other show that I'm really enjoying on HBO called The Undoing. It's a scripted show, but like really good thriller in the vein of sort of like a Gone Girl or Big Little Lies. I recommend it. And I'm also finishing the Stars documentary on Nexium. I'm hoping to have the directors on um, hopefully next week. So fingers crossed. It's a really well done doc. And I highly recommend that you see it, especially if you've seen The Vow, because I think that you will realize how much has actually been left out of The Vow. So today on the podcast, Sharon Lease and Sasha Alpert. So you might remember I had Sasha Alpert on before a few years ago, and I will repost her interview in the show notes. She produced this amazing new film, Transhood, and Sharon directed it. Transhood is premiering on HBO and HBO Max on November 14th. It's a beautiful story. It follows four trans kids over the span of five years, like if you've seen the movie Boyhood, very similar. It documents their lives and their families' lives amidst conflict, celebration, and a lot of change. And what makes it even more interesting is that all the families live in conservative Kansas City, Kansas, in what is mostly a very harrowing political environment for the trans community. It's a fascinating film and conversation, and I hope that you will check out the film and enjoy the podcast. Well, hello, Sharon and Sasha. Welcome. Hi there. So Sasha, welcome back. I interviewed Sasha a few years ago, which I'll post in the show notes. We go into her incredible career, but I'm just meeting Sharon. Sharon, I'm so glad that you reached out to me about this wonderful film and congratulations to both of you. I think it's wonderful, very moving, very well done piece of art, and I can't wait for everybody to see it. We can't either. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm sure. So I want to start with a film and then we'll sort of back in a little bit to talking a little bit more about Sharon's career, which I find really interesting. The first question is really, Sharon, why did you decide to make this film? Well, uh, for me, I've always really loved coming of age stories. And I find myself like gravitating towards stories about kids. And I also somehow get into telling stories that are time lapse. So, um, you know, long projects. I've done them before. And then this project obviously is over five years. So, um, but I heard about um, the Transgender Institute in Kansas City um, from my husband, who's a lawyer, has nothing to do with uh, film, but knows that I'm always looking for interesting stories. And um, tell me about the Transgender Institute in Kansas City. And I was really surprised and delighted that that was actually a good resource here in Kansas City. And um, I reached out to them um, and asked them about telling stories. And they were um, very accommodating and invited me to some of their support groups and introduced me to some of the families. And once I met these kids, um, you know, I was just um, in love with them. And, you know, it was 
it was actually 2014. So we were in a much different, you know, state. And, um, and it seemed like, you know, I would be able to be kind of riding the wave of this new acceptance and acknowledgement, um, and affirmation of, of trans, the trans community. Um, so, uh, so I just really, you know, just wanted to tell their stories. And it's interesting that you live in Kansas and this took place in Kansas city, it's an interesting backdrop, right? Because it's hardly known as a liberal bastion and maybe more known for some conservative Christians. So how did you how did you experience that in terms of the juxtaposition of a more conservative place with obviously trans rights that are actively fought against by groups like that? Well, you know, it was actually kind of um it's kind of complicated because on the one hand, it's a, it is an area that's very conservative and definitely these kids and their families um, don't face the time, the, the kind of um, acceptance and inclusion that, that they would have on the coast. So you definitely, we definitely had that. And there's also, you know, we're in the Bible belt. So there's definitely that and legislation that comes up right here. That's very threatening to these kids. But on the other hand, you see parents and families who are really, really supportive and not throwing their kids out. Not that that doesn't happen in transgender community, in the tr- transgender, with transgender kids, but it didn't happen in, in this circumstance. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of um, mostly <laughs> supportive families. And I think that that's really important to show because even if you live in a conservative area, um, there still are people who can be very affirming of their kids. Now, obviously, Sasha's background originally is in casting. I think this cast of four kids that you followed was incredible. Lena, Avery, Phoenix, and Jay. Sasha, how early in the process did you come in? Had Sharon already found these kids or did you help in the casting process? And how did you two even meet? We actually, um, Sharon brought the project to Buna Murray. And she had a sizzle and three of the four kids were in the sizzle, or was it two of the four kids were in the sizzle? And um, John Murray and I were immediately super intrigued by the what she had. And um, w- one of the things that really intrigued us was that it was not a coastal story, that this is something that was happening in the Bible Belt. And so it felt like a different way to tell the story. And also I have always gravitated towards stories about children and these were children. Um, And very, you know, and, and they were clearly amazing characters right away. So, um, you know, immediately I was grabbed by, what I saw, and this was five and a half years ago now. So the the what was going on in the United States with trans youth was very different than it is now, and um, it, it was not at all as as a, a as a comfortable place for trans kids as it is now, and it was. Um, you know, a very moving story that we saw. Can you say which of the original kids were in the sizzle and who you cast later? Oh, sure. It was um, Jay, Jay and Avery were in the, were in the original 
sizzle. And then we were able to, um, and then Lena joined and then Phoenix was um, actually, uh, Debbie suggested Phoenix because I was um, looking for, uh, to tell a story of non-binary or, um, you know, gender expansive story. So, um, and, and she said, you know, you should really, you should talk to um, Phoenix and Phoenix's family. Um, so, and then we only had one other family that was involved at the beginning. Um, I mean, after, after Jay and Avery, um, and they dropped out really quickly, but we were really fortunate because you know how these things go to be able to follow them through all of these ups and downs for, for five years. At the time that Sharon brought this project to us, it was right around the time that the movie Boyhood came out. And so, you know, and that was so moving. And I think we were very influenced by the idea of following real people for a very long time to see what would happen. Um, and to also dispel a lot of um, thoughts that people had about, you know, oh, it's a phase or it's, you know, it's the parents or, you know, and, and so I think that was, that was, you know, that was the moment that this happened. So that, you know, you have to remember this film started when Obama was in office. The good old days. And there wasn't that much like this out there. There weren't films like this or, um, you know, anything on TV. It was before um, I'm Jazz, uh, I'm Kate, you know, it was, it was before there was transparenting uh, or transparent because we almost called it transparenting. Um, but uh, transparent was on TV, but that, but that was it. No one was really telling, um, you know, the, the time-lapse story of, uh, or even just stories about transgender kids. It's so interesting and ambitious when you do a story like this. And I'm, I was wondering about boyhood. That's one of my favorite movies. And even though that was scripted, it did feel almost like a documentary because the time-lapse was in real life. It wasn't different actors. So I'm wondering when you decide to take on something like that, where the original premise is, okay, hang in with us for five years, how you decide how you're going to cover that, right? Because what you did was you really sort of focused on one year and then kind of time lapse the rest till the end. And I thought that worked really well. And it was pretty wild to see these kids grow up and some of the family dynamic changes. I don't really want to spoil anything. But I guess, Sasha, from a production company point of view, it's sort of a big investment, not just financially, but also emotionally, because you have really no idea what's going to happen. And one of the stories, which I won't spoil, really took a crazy turn. Yeah, I mean, that it, it's just it's a honestly blind faith. And I thank Buna Murray for being uh, so patient uh, and, you know, sticking with the story. But I will say the story never actually had like a lull, like, oh, my God, this is getting so boring. It was always so the, the excitement was always served by giving it time. And time in documentaries is such a blessing. And as documentaries have become more mainstream, they are fit into a more traditional calendar. And this is not a traditional calendar. You know, it is... Uh, 
uh, and and also this never could have happened without Sharon living in the place where we're shooting. So she could get a call and say, hey, this is happening tomorrow and literally go over there with a the camera and, you know, an intern or just herself and actually film it. So there was a, we got a lot of um, bang for a buck that way because, you know, she didn't have to get on an airplane and, um, and of course we're deeply, deeply embedded with the family. So they're going to call Sharon the minute something interesting happens. And um, so, yeah, we, we took a chance on something that worked out really well. Obviously so much Sharon of what you need to do is build these families trust. I mean, they're letting you in, in such an intimate way. And I was thinking with Avery's storyline that so much of what happened was sort of this backlash over kind of going viral as sort of the cover story for a trans kid. Was there a point with filming with Avery and her family where they just didn't even want to be a part of this anymore because of what was happening with that? And again, I don't want to get too deep into it so people can see for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because, um, and you're right, I mean, it really is an honor and a privilege to to be let into these people's lives and to be entrusted with their stories. And I definitely take that responsibility seriously. Um, and with Avery, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say, you know, she was featured on the, the cover of um, Nat Geo magazine um, as the first transgender person to be on the cover. And, um, and she starts out as a very um, avid advocate and activist. Um, and then when it, when it sort of changes for her, um, um, I had to be sensitive to that. Um, fortunately, we had developed a relationship over the years that I sort of didn't apply to her, um, you know, not wanting to be part of um, telling her story out there because, um, you know, she was used to like reporters coming in and just sort of quickly telling a story and, you know, doing, spending an hour with her or, you know, doing a photo shoot. And so that's a little different than spending a lot of time and knowing, I think she, um, you know, I can't speak for her, but I know, I feel like she, you know, knew that I really knew her story and that I was really committed to telling her story in a authentic way. So she fortunately wanted to stick with it. Um, but she's also a kid that, you know, would say at times, uh, oh, I don't really want to film today, <laughs> you know, when we'd show up. Uh, so we do something with, uh, we, we would do something with, with Debbie. Um, but, you know, you just, especially with kids, you just have to let them lead. And especially with this kind of intimate content, you can't, you can't force it. I mean, people have to be willing and, you know, want to want to be able to share their stories. I was very moved by how supportive the parents were. I have a good friend who I knew when her son was her daughter, our kids were really young and played together and kind of watched it. And I remember sitting with her probably a couple of years in and maybe when her son was around four or five and saying like, you're so amazing. You're so supportive. You just gone with it. And she was like, what choice do I have? You know, like this is what's happening. How am I not going to, get on board. And it sort of resonated with me watching these parents because, you know, you did show that it was hard for them, even though, even though some of it had already been several years on where they had been dealing with this, of course they're human beings, but they all across the board were so incredibly supportive. And it really, it was so beautiful to see that. 
I know. Um, I felt that way too. And they, you know, they, at the, at the beginning of filming, the kids were four, seven, 12 and 15, and then they're five years older at the end and watching the parents. I mean, yes, some of them were grieving, but it was really, it was really inspiring to see how, how they could, how they handled it and how, you know, I learned because, you know, going into it, I, many people had the, had, have the question of how does a four-year-old know? And, and I even had naively had that question at the beginning, but I've learned that that's not the question. It's like, how do you not believe them? Because they know. And once you spend time with these kids, you know, you know that they know, and you, you just, and I think that these parents just show us how you just let your kids lead and how you trust them. And really, it, what difference does it make whether your kid identifies as a girl or a boy? I mean, when you give birth, you're not like, oh, it's a boy. I think I'll throw it back. I mean, you know, you love your kid no matter what. It doesn't matter who, how they identify. I think Phoenix's dad said exactly that. I love the way he spoke about that. You know, again, I'm very loath to give away any more details because that storyline's pretty, pretty amazing. So you started the film in 2014, 2016, Trump gets elected and it became really real for these kids and their parents. So talk a little bit about what it was like to be with them when the political tide shifted in a pretty dramatic way. It was, it was pretty scary. It's, um, you know, and um, because we're filming this on the day after the, or we're, we're recording this on the day uh, after the election, um, it felt about as tense as this. And, um, you know, these kids were, and families were starting to see that there, that there was hope and there was legislation that was going in the right way and the, and protections and access to medical care. And, um, and then once Trump got elected, I believe the first day he was in office, he did something to, uh, roll back. Uh, transgender protections. So um, it was, uh, it was a huge, huge shift in, in their, in their mood and, um, you know, in, in the vulnerability that I even felt for them. So once you guys were done filming, what was the process? Did you then bring it to HBO? Sasha, you obviously already have a relationship with HBO. How did HBO come into it? Uh, We got to a certain point in filming, I think we'd been filming almost four years and we cut, decided to cut a sizzle. And so we cut a sizzle at Buna Murray and took it out. Um, and we actually had fantastic meetings, which I was thrilled about. I mean, you don't necessarily know what's gonna hit. And we got two offers. And we ended up going with HBO, partly because I had, you know, such great experience in our in previous projects. And, um, you know, HBO is so pro filmmaker and is very used to tackling uh, subject matter that's sensitive and dealing with it so perfectly. So um, we were thrilled to that that happened. And then we. Um, we opened the cutting room after that and started editing. But uh, Sharon kept filming because we had the luxury of doing that. And so we, you know, had 
an extra, a lot of extra material because we kept filming. And also, when do you stop is one of the questions because it's not like the lives of anybody stops. They keep evolving and getting more interesting and deeper and more complex. So um, that's basically the story of how we got to HBO and how we kept filming after that. And Sharon, were you doing other projects in the course of these five years in the meantime kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) In and out of other projects, you know how we do as independent filmmakers, there's always something at a different, at another stage or either development or you're just finishing up. Um, I also, uh, you know, just would be a showrunner on other projects that weren't mine um, because you kind of, you got to make a living. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm curious because you are a bit of a unique unicorn in our industry because you are based in Kansas. Are you in Kansas city? I'm in Overland park. So I'm a a suburb of Kansas city. I mean, I'm on, I'm in Kansas. Yeah. And you've had this remarkable career in documentaries and documentary television. How does one do it from Kansas? Pray tell. (laughs) Yes. I'm pretty lucky. Um, And it's interesting because during the pandemic, I think people are starting to see how I've done things all along. Um, because I've been out here in, uh, in Kansas, just, um, you know, kind of trying to stay in my lane and focus on, um, telling stories either from the Kansas city area, um, which there are a plethora of, or, um, I go, I go elsewhere. Um, but you know, and people do ask me all the time, like, how do you do it from there? And you're not in New York or you're not in, in California. And, you know, you have a computer, you have a phone, and you have a passion and you can, you can tell stories anywhere. Stories are all around us. So I, I just really believe that you can do it from anywhere and you just, you don't have to be on the coast. So I do spend time <laughs> non-pandemic. Uh, I do, I spent, you know, like if I'm on a, if I'm on a show or on a project, I'll be, I'll spend time in uh, long periods of time in, in California, in LA. Sharon had the Southwest flight schedule in like engraved in her brain she was like well i'll be on the this and i'll be you know she was back and forth all the time so she's not afraid to travel yeah especially during the edit there was yeah i wanted to be there a lot so i'm sure no i'm assuming that all of these kids i don't even know if you can call lena kid anymore they're probably feeling anxious as this movie's about to come out on HBO or the world will see it. Have you been in touch with them? And what are the kinds of things that they're talking to you about? Are they freaking out? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's definitely different for them. You know, one of the things that, that stands out about them is that, you know, they, they didn't do this for fame and, you know, they they are not, um, they didn't want to be television stars. So, um, so this is really it's it, it, for Jay especially. This is more of a a coming out, a disclosure, um, because there are still a lot of people in in his life who who do not know. But he's he says I talked to him this morning. Actually, he says he's definitely ready for this. Um, so you know, and they've been doing a little bit of media. Um, there's been interviews. Um, so they're they're kind of I think they're they're really gearing up for it. Um, I think uh, there's definitely a little bit of nerves, um, but I feel like they're pretty excited. That's great. I think I think I probably know the answer to this, but was there one thing 
in the five years that surprised you the most about making the film? Oh, are, you're you're talking about the big turn in, uh, in Phoenix's Phoenix story. story. Was that the story? thing yeah. that I most mean, that surprised was, you? That was pretty surprising. Um, yeah, to, when um, and it wasn't surprising that um, that Phoenix um, desists, and that's a little bit of a giveaway. But um, what's surprising was um, was the reaction to from uh, from Phoenix's mom. So that was a little because she does a whole uh, 180. Um, and it was, it was a lot, we had a lot of conversation about, about that, you know, like, should we, what should we do with this? And we felt like, um, it was really important to, to tell that story because that is an experience that, um, families have. And so we didn't really want to shy away from that because it was, it was true to the story. I'm so glad that you didn't. I imagine as the filmmaker, it was probably difficult to deal with the mom. I don't know. It was hard to watch it, to be honest. Uh, it was, it was a little challenging when she expressed her, her feelings. Um, but you know, as we do, when we, when we listen, we, we get to hear a lot and, and, you know, just try to understand where, um, where she's coming from. And it, and I, and in the edit, we kept searching for like, we know people are going to want to know more, like why, why, why she just never gave it. She, you know, she just felt the way she felt and expressed it um, and wasn't ashamed of it. um, And didn't offer as much as I tried any more explanation for us, you know, who want to say like, how could you change your mind about this? Yeah, it almost seemed like somebody or something got to her, like she met somebody who had strong views or she got involved in a church or I don't know. There seemed like some external force that that had gotten through to her because it did seem just so strange. She was one of the most supportive mothers at the beginning. Yeah, she's also very young. She's very young. young. She was quite young when she had children. Yeah. I mean, I think she may be 24, 25. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. With three kids. So, you know, that is still, an, she still was of an age where she was evolving quite quickly. And you have that Kansas conservative influence around her. So that, that's for sure. What I found so interesting as the evolution of the film continued was that people like the Westboro Baptist Church felt like they had to come in March and that there was such strong anti-trans feelings that people felt so strongly about that it's just shocking to people, to, to many people. But I think that was such an important part of it to show this is what people are up against in many, many parts of this country. And especially on today, the day after election day, it's something to think about. Yeah. And I thought you did an incredible job of capturing those moments and seeing the real impact. Cause I don't think people realize, I mean, this is literally from where can I go to the bathroom to, am I even considered a human being in the eyes of the law? I mean, these are major, major things. I wanted to ask if the families knew each other. It seemed like maybe two of the families were at the same rally together, but did any of the families know each other before? Did they get to know each other during filming? Well, the person who's kind of at the hub of all this um, in terms of knowing each other would be Debbie because she's um, 
such a public figure and an activist. So she, so Debbie and Avery knew everyone, but not everyone else knew, knew, knew everyone else. They do now, but. Have any friendships formed through it? I think through the, I would say the parents have, um, they have a good, they have good connections. How much outreach did you do to the trans community to help inform the project? It was really important to us um, to get input from the transgender community and which we did. And, um, and I think that that really, um, you know, helped us to be better allies in telling these stories. So like uh, Kimberly Reed, who's an amazing filmmaker, is one of our executive producers. and She's a transgender filmmaker. Um, we have another, we had a researcher um, who was also on the project. And, um, and we did a lot of screenings with, um, with various organizations and groups. So um, I just think that that's important for people to know that, um, that we take our allyship really, really seriously. And we, you know, know that it's a, it's a big responsibility to tell a story about these kids um, growing up trans in the middle of the country. This was such a great conversation. I can't wait for everybody to see this film. So tell everyone, just so we have it definitively, where they can watch it and when and how. So Transit will premiere on HBO and HBO Max on November 12th at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Great. And then we can watch it on HBO On Demand and everybody can find it that way, right? Yes. All HBO platforms. You two did such a beautiful job with the film. Kudos. I know people will love it. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Give my best to all the families and tell them congratulations for doing this because it was really brave of them. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having us. us.